Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby. Hello and welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I am Rivka Rivera. And I am Frank Capello. So Rivka and I wanted to start with today's show by talking a little bit about Hollywood um, and how uh, what's going on there is intersecting what is happening in the larger geopolitical context of today, specifically the ongoing conflict in Israel and Gaza. So if you haven't heard or you might have seen a little bit about this on social media, One of the top agents at CAA, which is the Creative Artists Agency, one of the biggest uh, talent agencies in Hollywood, um, one of their top agents, a woman named Maha Dakil, uh, is leaving her leadership position after she posted on social media about Israel. So her initial post read, quote, you're currently learning who supports genocide. And then she added her own caption, quote, that's the line for me. What's more heartbreaking than witnessing genocide, witnessing the denial that genocide is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, she later then deleted uh, all of those posts from her account. And yeah, there's not a lot uh, that's been reported about uh, her ouster, although I got to imagine there's a lot of internal conflict and debate. But I think this is a really, uh, a lot of people have pointed to this as a pretty scary moment in in the media discourse of what has been happening in Israel and Gaza as um, I think Rivka you said it this is like a new kind of like a new form of McCarthyism where if if you are a public figure and you dare to show any support of Palestine of Gaza of Palestinian lives um, then you are you run the risk of being blacklisted. And that seems what has happened here at uh, at CAA. Yeah. I mean, for anyone who is not aware, McCarthyism refers to the anti-communist witch hunt that was led by Joseph McCarthy in the 1950s during the Cold War era. And it was known for the tactics of blacklisting, fear-mongering, it harmed progressive causes. It made It created this atmosphere of paranoia and deep fear and we've just been we've been seeing that happening slowly and it's pretty terrifying with the instance that you just shared i think i mean i've seen a few different i've seen different examples of this both on small scales and then larger scales i think um there was a a vogue editor who was also let go and we've just also been Mm. seeing i mean it's not only seeing it it's feeling it like you can experiencing it it. i mean i know experiencing it yeah. You and I have both personally been experiencing it, uh, you know, in just in conversations we've been having with friends and acquaintances. And I think there's there's multiple things happening. Like, so there's the conversation about power and power dynamics and those privileges. And then there's also the conversation about holding space for the multitudes and complexities of feelings and experiences that we're going to all have as human beings witnessing a moment of historic atrocity, a moment of genocide. And we're all coming at this from our own lenses, our own historical backdrops, our own inherited backdrops. So there's there's that piece, I think, that happens that you feel in conversations. There's the, there's the piece of friendships maybe being torn apart, maybe not being able to have certain conversations with friends that you felt you were able to have in the past or at this moment in time not 
not having the language or just not being able to hold space for each other, which is heartbreaking. But the other piece, when you are, when your livelihood, when your um, ability to work, when your public persona is that that's different. That's the, that's the bigger piece of power, right? That in the West right now, it's very clear what's okay and what you should be afraid to say. Well, mm. it doesn't make sense. Well, like I think yeah. interpersonally, it's much more complex in terms of where the power dynamics lie at this moment in time. It's very clear what you're allowed to publicly support in an organization. And I'm not and I and I know that people don't necessarily feel this way inside of their activist communities. And that's, again, also different. I'm talking about who runs the world. Right. Yes. I'm talking about the powers that be CAA. CAA, yeah, Vogue. What what would actually like that you can actually get away with this at this time is terrifying. It's terrifying. It should also be pointed out that Maha Dekil is uh, one of the few women in leadership roles at CAA. One of the very few women of color in leadership roles. Um, she was uh, co-founder of the Times Up movement in Hollywood. So this is a like a woman who is has progressive chops and clearly has a principled stand. And I just want to read a little bit of her uh, her apology post because she did. She, she posted an apology. Quote, I made a mistake with a repost in my Instagram story, which used hurtful language. Like so many of us, I have been reeling with heartbreak. I pride myself on being on the side of humanity and peace. I'm so grateful to my Jewish friends and colleagues who pointed out the implications and further educated me. I immediately took down the repost. I'm sorry for the pain that I've caused. To, to me, my interpretation is that this is this is scary, and I I honestly I I don't see any issue with her initial post calling what is currently happening in Gaza a genocide, or at the very least, ethnic cleansing, because that is what is happening. And the fact that she was put in a position to retract what, in my estimation, is a true statement, and then make this apology reinforces the imperial narrative that we're all getting from all sides right now. That's it, yeah. And I know you've had conversations with friends. I've had conversations with people who are who are like-minded on this issue and try to approach it from a level of nuance and thoughtfulness and compassion. And something I've been hearing from everybody is like, I feel like I'm going crazy. It's like the entire world is telling me that I am completely wrong for pointing out that locking two million people in a cage and starving them is not okay and it's it's extremely frustrating and we're, we're bringing this all up because it, this is such a fraught moment this is so difficult to navigate for so many people i've also talked to people who are just like i can't wait in because i just i don't know what the fuck to say or what the fuck to do that is gonna help or anything but I, I think it's important to talk about this and, 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 ta and talk about talking about this because it is an incredibly dire moment. And I, I think a lot of people, right, I think a lot of people in power right now really want to scare dissent away and punish dissent away. And I mean, we're seeing it across Europe. I think I think it was Germany has banned uh, pro-Palestinian marches. We, we've seen the repression of pro-Palestinian support across Europe and in places in our country as well. You know, the few members of U.S. Congress like Rashida Tlaib who have 
who's been catching so much shit from every flank, not only the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party for calling for a ceasefire, for calling, you know, what Israel is doing war crimes. And it's a tremendous amount of pressure and it feels insurmountable, but we're all witnessing what is happening right now. And I, I know for me, I, I can't sit idly by as, you know, as all of this unfolds. And I'm, I'm calling my Congress people every day. I'm calling everyone that I can every day to just do the tiniest ass bit of work that I can do. And I think it's important for us to try to enter these conversations in a place of compassion and patience and, and listening as hard as that is. And as hard as that is when you're speaking to people about it, it's so, so important right now, like especially right now. And so seeing what happened to, you know, Maha Dekila at CAA is just, it's, it's scary. And obviously I'm not going to give fucking talent agencies too much, you know, credit one way or the other on anything. They're talent agencies. Their whole business model is just extracting wealth from their clients. But yeah, I know that was a little bit of a ramble, but we just wanted to touch on this because it's, it's very much at the forefront of our minds right now. And I'm sure it is for a lot of our listeners. Yeah. I'm yes to everything you shared and I guess all I would add to that, because you touched on the listening piece and how do we sit with each other through this is something I'm really passionate about and something that intersects with some of the work that I do in terms of communication and communicating with with people you don't agree with and communicating mm-hmm. in times of deep distress. And I, I just would share that something that's been really helpful, which we've talked about before, for me is just remembering that everybody at this moment is speaking in draft And we have to give each other that permission to learn and to change and to be educated and to take in new information. I think as radicals, we have to. That's like what we're always fighting for is critique. But if you don't give yourself permission to change your point of view and you don't give other people permission to change their point of view, there's no, there is no organizing. There is no building movements. And it can be really hard to sit with that. But I, I haven't had conversations, even when I'm, you know, feel activated in my system, listening to someone with a different point of view, I can often identify that their heart is actually in the right place. And I can sit with through, bear through that activation. But then I think the other piece is finding spaces to grieve, finding spaces to talk it through. I shared with you, I've been facilitating and also going to a grief cafe for Gaza, which we can share in our notes too for our listeners, which has just been unbelievably healing because to your point, I think to live through something like this and not feel insane wouldn't make sense. I think it's Mm. absolutely rational because what is happening is so inhumane. It's so, so much loss of life and sacred souls right now leaving this planet. And if you are at all touched into your humanity, you are going to feel insane because what is happening is not sanity and it's awful. So that for me to metabolize grief has been such a key part of like, I've learned this in this moment of my activism can't be void of that, can't be void of, and that's different than mental health. I'm not looking. (laughs) I mean, that's not mental health. That's going to get you. That's going to drive you crazier. This is taking care so that you can process grief, so that you can 
get your feet on the ground and go to a march, which I realized, which I finally was able to do Saturday. But I wouldn't have been able to do if I holding all of that in my body. It would have been too activating to be there. And processing it allowed it to be liberating and inspiring. So that would that's that's all I have to contribute to this is as we're sort of moving through together, figuring it all out. I think that's so important because I think I think you're right. I think people conflate like, you know, doing self-care with processing grief and trauma, which are two totally different things. Um, yeah. And to the point of uh, anti-capitalism, what capitalism we know teaches us and has done to our culture and our society, it's so individual. It's we're we have inherited this belief system that we should be able to figure it out on our own. You cannot grieve alone. No. We we must have community to grieve. And while in, in the midst of a war, there is no time to... It's so confusing because there isn't that time to... We have to immediately cease fire now. <clears throat> if you're not seeing space to grieve in your Instagram feed, that doesn't mean there isn't space to grieve. That might That just might not be the medium or the place to do it. And I urge people to find their own places for healing so that you can then get back into the wave of activism that has to happen simultaneously because they have not stopped bombing children. And the the, the, the very last thing that I, I want to add, because I want to make sure this does not get glossed over, that especially, you know, I imagine a lot of our audience are leftist, socialist, communist, very left-leaning. Something I am reminding myself when discussing this issue and offering my critiques is to keep in mind that anti-Semitism is very real and very dangerous. And there is a lot of that happening right now because of what we are seeing. Yep. Um, that is that is separate and divorced from critiques of the Israeli government or critiques of modern Zionism. There is like a real dangerous anti-Semitism that is bubbling right now. Also, the inherited trauma of the Jewish people across the world cannot be... We have to hold that. We have to we, hold that. We have to hold that. It cannot be ignored and it cannot be uh, pushed to the side in in the way that we are speaking about this issue and our critiques. That's just something that I think will help facilitate growth and conversation. But holding place for the human nuance and complexity does not deny the the very clear analysis of power exactly. and i think those two things get conflated and can be very harmful that we can't ever it's dehumanizing to tell someone that they are not complex it, it denies the human experience however power can be very simple all of us speaking in draft asking yourself consistently like what is the story i'm putting on what i'm hearing and what am i actually hearing all right i think that's a good place to to leave it for now. Before we get to that conversation, uh, we just wanna let our audience know that this podcast is produced by the two of us. We perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen. And as we're trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we will not be selling ads on this show. We rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes and you'll be directly supporting this show 
You can also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com. You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast player. It only takes a few seconds, and it is very helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, so we really appreciate it. We are going to take a break, but we'll be right back with our guest, CJ Kep and our conversation on B-Movie. All right, here with us today is CJ Kep. CJ is a climate activist, improviser, aspiring cult leader, and stand-up comedian originally from the deep nowhere in Wisconsin. When she's not delivering hot political takes or clowning across the Bay Area, you can find her watching birds or watching birds watch her in the woods. <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> CJ. Thank you. So excited to be here. So a little bit of context for the audience. CJ, you and I met uh, via TikTok.com, and uh, I was introduced to you there. Uh, I think it was, um, I think it was your your video about how like the divine right of kings. You, you oh, were comparing yeah, you were comparing yeah. the divine right of kings to capitalism, and you were basically like playing all of like these feudal serfs, being like. Mm -hmm. Well, we have like we have to we have to respect the king. The, the king provides jobs for all of us. Um, and I was like, damn, she's right the fuck on. So I'm really glad that you could be here. Uh, before we get into the conversation, just tell us, yeah, a little bit more about yourself, the work that you do, what kind of got you into this like, I don't know, anti-capitalist climate activism media creation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I feel like I got radicalized in college, but not in the way that you would expect. Like, there's like this story that it's like. The professor is trying to make you more leftist, but I feel like my professors were like very neoliberal. Uh, I studied political science and environmental studies, so they were just trying to explain to me how okay. everything happened. And I was like, wow, this is horrible. Uh, <laughs> especially, you know, going to school with during the Trump presidency and COVID and everything. But yeah, I, I've always been interested in the environment. Uh, my dad's a hick, so I come from like hick country. <laughs> um, so, you know, we did a lot of like hunting, fishing, stuff like that. But yeah, learning more about the climate crisis it was kind of scary of like, oh, there's this apocalypse happening that nobody talks about because people are making money off of it. Um, sure. And we're just kind of like allowing it to happen. So that's what got me into climate activism, which got me into activism more broadly. Um, so yeah, I, I used to do a lot of organizing at college. Uh, I've worked for a couple of nonprofits. I'm currently working for a group called Act Now Bay Area uh, that collects oh, hell yeah. different. Yeah, I, I really like it. Um, but it collects different climate resources for people in the Bay Area. Um, kind of tapping into that feeling that I think a lot of people have of like, oh, the climate crisis is happening. I literally don't know what to do. Like I'm one person. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something I'm really passionate about is getting people connected to different groups and organizations uh, that they can take action in. Um, I've also started doing stand up in the last year. And people don't start doing stand up when their lives are going really well. But <laughs> 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 But yeah, I feel like that's been, it's been really nice being able to explore that, especially like being able to talk about really heavy political topics that are usually so doom and gloom mm -hmm. uh, and trying to find the humor in those situations and trying to connect with people that aren't, that don't identify themselves maybe as anti-capitalist or leftist uh, and trying to talk about these things. So that's also something okay. I'm really passionate about. Tight. So would you say that you're like the, the material that you're doing in stand-up? And I should say, I also did stand-up for a couple of years in LA oh, wow. and I, and- Totally agree. Life was not going well at the time. <laughs> um, 
but so it's like most of the material you're doing, like, uh, does it have like a political bent to it? Or are you, are you doing like some political stuff, but also like some, you know, like goofy observational stuff as well? Yeah, I started trying to do just political stuff and I didn't know how to write jokes yet. So it was kind of like a TED talk. Like I would go up there and start like <laughs> ranting at people. <laughs> uh, and I realized like, oh, you have to learn how to write jokes in general before you're writing jokes that are like very difficult to write, which is about like really heavy subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've kind of gone back to writing a lot of silly jokes. I have one that I'm working on about like Jesus being in a fraternity, just like <laughs> dumb shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, also trying to find a way to approach political topics and make it funny, but also like in line with my political beliefs. Well, you chose a movie for us to watch today that I don't think Rivka and I had ever seen. Although, I, although people had mentioned it to us, like in the comments here and there, People have been like, oh, you guys got to do B-movie. Like, that's it's a perfect movie for this. So, yeah, so we watched the the 2007 Jerry Seinfeld vehicle <laughs> B-movie directed by Simon J. Smith and Steve Hickner, starring Jerry Seinfeld, Renee Zellweger, Matthew Broderick, John Goodman, Chris Rock, and Patrick Warburton. The budget was $150 million, and it only made $293 million worldwide. So, which, like, I guess it made its money back, but, like, I think people were like, whoa, we got Jerry Seinfeld as a B? This is a billion-dollar idea. (laughs) I think Uh, Seinfeld (laughs) thought that for sure. If you've never seen this movie, this is the story of Barry B. Benson, a B, (laughs) (laughs) played by Jerry Seinfeld, uh, who just graduated from college but is disillusioned at his lone career choice of being part of his hive's Hunnex Corporation, whose only business is making honey. So when Barry takes a dangerous trip outside of the hive, his life is saved by Vanessa, a human woman, played by Renee Zellweger, a florist in New York City. And as their relationship blossoms, Barry discovers that humans actually eat honey and large corporations are profiting from its production. So Barry decides to sue the human race for their exploitative treatment of the bees. All right. So, y'all, some historical context for when this film came out. It's November 2nd, 2007. In January, Nancy Pelosi has just become the first female speaker of the House of Representatives. Steve yes, Jobs. Yes, queen. Girl boss. Steve Jobs oh has <laughs> just introduced the first iPhone during a Macworld keynote address in San Francisco. In February, the micro-blogging platform Tumblr is launched. Illinois Senator Barack Obama announces his candidacy for President of the United States. And in June, the TV series The Sopranos airs its series finale. And in September, The Big Bang Theory airs its first episode. In November, the Writers Guild of America goes on strike demanding increased DVD residuals and to set contracts for the first time for new media. Two thousand. This also came out right before the recession, which coincidence? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Maybe they planned it. I don't know. Yeah, I, did did B movie contribute to the subprime mortgage crisis? I, it's, you know, it's, we're just asking questions here. Legally, we can't say. We can't say we can't. We don't have an answer. All right. So, CJ, the first first question we ask our guests to start the conversation is, why did you choose this movie for us to watch for this podcast? I'm so glad you asked me that. So you would reach out to this. You had a list of movies. I saw the B movie was on there. This is such a freak accident. When I was in college, a friend of mine uh, ended up, I think we were 
I don't think we were sober while we were doing this, but we ended up <laughs> watching the B movie. I have nine pages of notes in my Google Drive of us saying, this is capitalist propaganda. Literally watching it like four or five wow. years ago, mm-hmm. writing it down, analyzing it. I think somewhere there I was like, honey equals oil, question mark. Like it's like, yeah. <laughs> It's very much like they're rantings and ravings of a lunatic, but there is some good stuff there. So I was like, what a crazy, insane coincidence. Like, I have already done my research. Wow. I'm already I'm so obsessed. well prepared for this. So. Well, I'm so, okay. So I'm curious, like, revisiting it now, and I guess Trivka as well, like, what was, yeah, what was your takeaway from, I guess, the allegory of this movie? Because I, I personally found it, like, kind of muddled in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, I, yeah, just as like a jumping off point, like, do you still think this is capitalist propaganda? Do you think that this is like an actually an anti-capitalist film? Is it about like the exploitation of nature? Like, wh- like where do you sit now uh, in 2023? I, I feel like my first thought on rewatching was, wow, this is really bad. <laughs> I forgot that it was not a well-made movie. Um, I think I feel pr- about the same way. And I think a lot of it has to do not necessarily with the content of the movie itself, but with who actually made it uh, and who was writing it and producing it. And starring in it and all these like weird little things about like the way that it was set up where i feel like it's one of those movies that like appealed to everyone like you had kids watching it because it was a kids movie you had teens and young adults watching it because it became a meme later on and also the cast i feel like appeals to like older adults because it's all people that i have no idea who they are but my parents sure. probably recognize them yeah well first of all i would love to see those ranting and raving notes that you have I think they should be in our show notes that sounds (laughs) that's the kind of thing I would love to dive into um this was yeah I did not see this movie in 2007 I guess I was busy doing other things but um in research I thought it was fascinating that yeah I think that like this seems to be like Seinfeld was like this is my this is my passion project which is like like that's from everything i read bizarrely like this is seinfeld's passion project and also then even in the ads there's like the ads were actually seinfeld putting on not clips from the cartoon but like seinfeld putting on a b outfit so I, i it's interesting to hear it did not make a lot i just this did not hit the way i think seinfeld thought it would hit and i too felt like coming out of it i was like this is capitalist propaganda but what really struck me what I, which just was so upsetting. We we've recently watched ant movie. Ants, a- ants, not wow. ant movie. <laughs> ant, ant movie would be a terrible name. So, ants. Um. So it's hard to not compare bugs, you know, right mm-hmm. now. But I just think like I didn't do. I did a lot of research on ants. I did not do a lot of research on bees. <laughs> but, but we do know that bee. And I think the movie does make this point that like. The world needs bees to survive, so bees are are vital. What what ends up happening? So the so as you say in the synopsis, the berry sues the human race for um, taking advantage of you know for being nasty capitalists and exploiting all the honey and putting them in these little farming corporations where they're making honey for humans and they didn't even know it. Blah blah blah. blah. Like like work camps essentially. Work camps, yeah. But. See, this is then where I was like, okay, okay, I'm down. We're suing the humans for this exploitation. But then, then the bees, and maybe this is what you were kind of, your scribblings were getting at, CJ. Then once there was no need to like work, 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 like 
they were just like, so sad. My life has no purpose. Like, and I've heard this rhetoric shockingly, like recently from different people, I think maybe with AI coming up or like we're all just kind of offer like it's actually could be really cool if no one had to do manual labor like that could be cool. And people are like and I've had people say back just like, well, don't you think I mean, what about the people who want to work? People need a meaning. People need meaning in that work. And I was like, well, you can. And that was sort of the rhetoric that I felt like this movie started to get to. That was really creepy of like, you need us to profit from you and to have these systems of labor in order to give you purpose, because without it, you won't have any drive to do anything else. Like these bees could have done a million other things. They talk. <laughs> <laughs> they could start a podcast what are they doing <laughs> it was very like nobody wants to work anymore you know like jerry yes. seinfeld it's like old man rant like that's what it felt like to me yes yeah the card get kim kardashian on the remake and and but not only does not only are the bees just like you know aimless and have nothing to do with their lives but like the whole world starts to fall apart because all of the the, the plants and flowers start dying so it's so it's it goes the extra step of saying like if this exploitation doesn't exist, not only will you not have anything to do, but like the world as we know it will end, which I thought is like a very destructive message at the end of this. Yeah, I th- I mean I thought the whole way through. I want to like go back even a little bit to when we're first introduced to the hive, like and the Hunex Corporation that like Barry is you know. Barry is about to enter into like when we're introduced to him he's just graduated from college which is like I I thought like hilarious that Jerry Seinfeld was like I need to play a college student (laughs) completely absurd and he you know upon graduating they're like okay so like every bee makes honey that's what the hive does that's what we all do uh so you got to pick one job like one part of the honey manufacturing uh you know production line that you're gonna do for the rest of your life and they even say, you know, like, you know, we're going to work you to death. Like, we're going to try to work you to death. And, you know, his friend, Matthew Broderick B, says, you know, like, like Barry's having reserves. He's like, why would you question anything? We're bees. We're the most perfectly functioning society on Earth. So I'm like, I, I was reading this as like, is this Seinfeld and the writer's view on like what communism is? Or like, what, like a liberal's view of what communism is? Because like, that's what it kind of read to me was like, Oh, all of these bees are being like what, the the way that like the liberal West views that like historical communist projects of like mm. oh well people just like don't have any choices and they don't get to you know everyone has to just work and you know bread lines and all of that stuff because like that's that's what it kind of read to me and I think even one of the 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 cop bees or the pollen jocks or whatever <laughs> they called them even says comrade at one point and yes. I thought I felt like mm, yes. that was in, intentional I hadn't even thought about that I feel like there's so much to unpack with like their entire society like they reference electing a queen which is random uh, they have be Christianity <laughs> be Judaism like there were all these little things where I was like okay so you have like be Jesus like what's happening there I had kind of read it as like hyper capital because they're talking about like having like it's like the company is owned by another company that's owned by another company like you have like these shell corporations and it's mm-hmm. like Relating back to Bark's theory of alienation of like everyone has like such a tiny specific job. Like his dad is the honey stirrer and he stirs honey all day. And sometimes he stirs it so much that he comes home and he just can't stop like doing this with his hands. <laughs> like, and he loves it, which people believe. People like that's a very real, you know, and I don't always know what to say when people are like, well, what about when you? I'm like, I love working and doing things too. It's just like 
own the means of production, have a right to it, but also have a right to not want to fucking do it. I think it's interesting, too, because we later explore how bees are being exploited by the human class, but his hive is not. Like, his hive is completely exempt from that entire system because it's like a wild beehive. So they mm-hmm. actually yeah. get to benefit from, like, having all of their honey. So maybe that does tie into the communist thing that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's because, like, because they're using honey for everything. Like, honey is mm-hmm. the swimming pool. Honey is, uh, you know, what comes out of the shower head. Honey is what he puts on his hair to style it and make it look real cool. So you got the, I guess, the sense that, like, the this bee, these bees, these high, this hive was, like, sharing in on the, the wealth of the honey that they were all creating. And, you know, for even and even like noted, like for such a like a rigid society, like they like Barry's like, I'm going to go be a cop for a day. And they're like, OK, you're like, come along with us. I was like, all right. So there, there's some there's some leeway here. It's not like as rigid as like you might believe. But yeah, I like I, I just felt like it was it was trying to lampoon like a capitalist corporation, but also like a communist society at the same time. And I just like in the in the very liberal way that does that, which is yeah. just like you know, like ask a liberal to describe communism and they'll describe capitalism and like that kind mm-hmm. of yeah. like analogy. This is also, I got to say, a deeply unfunny movie, which was really <laughs> shocking to me. Like I'm a, you know, I like Seinfeld just as like Seinfeld, the TV show, just as much as, you know, most people. And I was really, I was like, how did this come out this way? Like all of the bits are very bad, very flat. There are some like really terrible jokes in here. Like, Worst think, one off the top of your head, go. Oh, the worst one is when uh, he's talking with Renee Zellweger's character and he mentions HIVO disease, which bees can get, which I think is an HIV joke. Oh, my God. <gasps> yeah. Jerry. What the? Jerry, how could you? Yeah, he's like, he's like, no, we get HIVO disease. It's a really terrible, awful disease. He gets like somber for a minute. And I was like, oh, your Jerry's you sure? good, though. Oh, thank they you. also kind of shit on drag queens a little bit. They, yes, they're yes. the hive, and they're like, "Oh, that's your queen. That's a drag queen." I'm like, "Why can't yeah. a drag queen be president? What's wrong with that, mm-hmm. Jerry?" Yeah, Gerald. There was one joke that landed for me. Hmm. Just which, one. Which I don't one? know. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it ever since I heard it. They ask him at the courtroom, <laughs> "What do you? What do you wear?" It's getting her right now. Look at her. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what are you wearing? And he's like, Ralph Lauren sweater, no pants. <laughs> That's what did it for you? He got his, his little bussy out. <laughs> little BOC. That, that got me. Everything else, I was stone cold, I promise. Ray Liotta, honey, did it for me a little bit. I thought that was, <laughs> yeah. that was, that was silly. R.I.P. I kept getting swept up in... Not even, like, the whole thing about Renee Zellweger's human character having a lot of sexual tension with a literal bee, but it was, like, also her relationship with a human guy who was kind of getting, like, cuckolded also by a bee. (laughs) It was also, like, very abusive. Like, very, like, in another, you're like, this is a very abusive relationship. Yeah, that he's cu- exactly, and then he's going It can't be that great if she's spending more time with a bumblebee than, you know... Her partner i tried so i tried watching this movie i had to watch it twice uh the first time it was earlier in the week my partner and i went out for dinner i came back i was a little bit tipsy and i just was like we got like 30 minutes into it and i could not follow it and i was just like hold on a second is this b trying to have sex with this lady i don't <laughs> understand what is happening i can't i have to stop watching this now this is <laughs> this is cuckoo bananas shit. it's trying to pollinate the ultimate flower <laughs> 
Oh. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you. That's that'll be the title of this episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> my legacy. Um, no, it, it is like so interesting too because I feel like she is technically part of the exploitative class. Like it's giving us a sympathetic view into the like because you know she's a she's one of the good ones. You know she has a flower store. She's mm-hmm. nice to him. She doesn't want to kill him, even though she's still benefiting from the exploitation of these other bees in the work camps. The floral industry PMC. I mean, um, not to get too heady, but I did have a moment where I was like, just us as a as human beings how we have in order to feel empathy for things not all of us but generally we have it's like and that's what the that was a bigger thing with this film is like we have to humanize things we have this obsession with humanizing i remember even like when you're learning to creative write you know your teacher's like well you have to humanize the inanimate object and that this is like all about this process of like humanize the bees so the bees are like us as opposed to like can we find empathy for this unbelievably radical like species that really does do things in a again i didn't research them like the ants but does things in a pretty profound like has shit more figured out than we do but we're obsessed with being like the only way to save them is to put a human face on them and like you know we have to feel like they are us and see ourselves in them and i just yeah i had a philosophical moment thinking about how us just as humans need to always see ourselves in things even rocks like even inanimate things to feel for them it's really fucked yeah i i that's that's such a good point i i like there's such a lack of empathy from humans towards just uh, like especially in the west of of like all of the other living things on this planet that we like deem as less than and somehow not as important or de- like not 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 feeling or not having a, like a, a scope of emotions that is comparable to us. I mean, like a- like anytime I'm arguing with like a family member or whatever about uh you know of like abortion, let's say, and they're just like, hey, you know, the, the the conservative reactionary, like that's you know you're killing a, a person, whatever. And I'm just like, you know that like a pig has the same emotional intelligence as a third grader, mm. and like they don't know what to do with that. They're like, yeah, but that's not the same thing. I'm like, is it not? Because that's a living thing that is understanding like the like the exploitative treatment and probably comprehends like the moment of death before it like it reaches them so it's a really uh a terrible thing that we humans do but thank you for (laughs) thank you for clarifying that and saying western ideology because that is actually very true and i'm glad you brought Mm -hmm. that up that that Mm -hmm. is definitely western ideological dis-ease and there's definitely a lot of indigenous cultures that don't have that fucking issue and yeah. that's mm-hmm. part of the reason that we have to relearn how to be right with the earth. And that goes back to climate injustice and the shit we're in because we want mm-hmm. them all to have human faces and talk like mm-hmm. Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Well, that's a big issue with like environmentalism too, where it's like, you see all these posters of like save the polar bears. And it's like polar bears actually aren't like that crucially important in their ecosystem compared to other species like bees that are also endangered but are like less sexy to put on a poster and get people to like donate to your organization right you know what i mean like people want to help support like pretty animals and like help save like the charismatic ones and not like if there's like if we're like oh there's like a random insect that like if this dies the ecosystem will just collapse well it's wild how we're like who when are they gonna make the spotted lantern fly i don't know if this is like big in new york right now the like mass murder and the glee with which have you heard of this cj i'm googling it right now okay the spotter <laughs> and lantern fly 
um, I don't, I, I, I've sort of, I just know that there's this, do you know more about it, Frank? Just that they're everywhere in New York right now. And it's been like the past two years and there's been like this chaos of people being like, you got to fucking kill the spotter. And if you see him, smash him, if you see him. And so you'll see people walking down the street, just like murder central, like, Where's Jerry Seinfeld to do the spotted lantern fly? Movie? I I can't like they're annoying. They're a lot, but you were not going to kill them. Like they're they're here, you individually. But like the glee that people have for this, I'm not part of. It. I I actively don't kill them. Actually, I actively don't kill them either. Just because I'm like we we can't get them all. But yeah, it's there, there's something that they're bad for the ecosystem that's why we were instructed to kill them it's not like people were just like <laughs> we don't like them it, it was like there was there's some ecological reason for but it again, but again it's like mm-hmm. why it's not their fault like there's a bigger picture and it's like it's their fault murder them and we're not gonna get them leave them alone they're kind of pretty they're a little pretty they got these like little red spots on their wings they kind of like they look like big ladybugs and they don't have jerry seinfeld's voice so that's a plus the one place so like when, when once the movie got to barry's lawsuit against humans that's where i thought maybe this was gonna be good like this was mm-hmm. like this was gonna be a good like overall have a good message because I, I i thought that the movie was pivoting to talk about like the way that humans exploit the natural world and exploit animals and exploit all of nature for you know for profit and gain you know when we first get to like the honey farm you like you hear you hear just regular beekeepers being like it's all pure profit baby i'm like these guys definitely aren't getting profit sharing why are they talking about profit sharing they make the honey and we make the money yes a a little on the nose (laughs) i drive it you know it drives it it drives it the the point home and then uh you know seinfeld says you know i'm gonna sting the humans in the one place that'll actually hurt them cut smash cut to the lawsuit is happening so which i was like i was like oh he's you know he's gonna like hit them in their wallet it's like this is this is like a labor movement okay cool and then and they even like talk about like other animals that have their uh you know like vit like the products products that <laughs> that have their natural life exploited like i think someone talks about like th- like john goodman who plays the lawyer for the multinational food companies is like what i'm gonna have to start paying a silkworm for the silk that it makes and I thought we were going to go there. I thought we were going to be like, oh, this is about like the mm-hmm. exploitation of the natural world. Yeah, but then... insects of the world unite. Yeah. That was which... your first mistake I... because it is about Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> like, I <laughs> I feel like so much of the movie, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, oh my God, they're about to like f- figure something out. Like you were saying that it's like, no, that's just like slapstick, like nonsense. I thought it was yeah. interesting too that they went with a lawsuit instead of like, direct action like property destruction like protests on the streets you know what i mean oh yeah it's like if you want to do if you want to make societal change you should do it through the courtrooms even though you're up against this like very well-established lawyer for these like massive like i think he even has a line about like oh do you think this like lawyer for this like multinational multi-billion dollar corporation is like any good like yeah (laughs) if you want to drive change i feel like that is typically not the way to do it and then the fact that it like went so well i felt like was like very i know the entire movie is like unrealistic but i was like (laughs) i could not suspend my belief enough for that one where they're just like okay you win let's shut down the honey industry even though it makes a lot of people a lot of money the the way they could have done this that actually was like a pro-labor anti-exploitation message would have been like okay the bees are making the honey but they're gonna keep they're gonna sell the honey but they're going to keep the they're going to keep the profits and share it among themselves. 
that's what I had hoped that they were going to do. But instead, they were like, nope, the entire world fall, falls apart because we don't get to exploit the bees anymore. So, you know, get back to work, bees. And then we have this whole absolutely absurd third act where they go to fucking Pasadena to steal a float so that they can repollinate the world. And it's just a, it's a real bummer all around. Yeah, I feel like they go back to the original system, but with some like slight concessions. Like they're like, we're going to do exactly <laughs> what we were doing before, but you get like a day off per year or something, mm-hmm. which feels very much how corporations act in real life. Yeah, giving the workers just enough to not revolt, but you know, en- enough to keep the machine going. Yeah, it was kind of a depressing movie, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't funny. <laughs> it did make me laugh. Yeah, shit, so. shit definitely was not funny. <laughs> Unexpectedly uh, a tragedy <laughs> from Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> I want a sequel that explores Vanessa and the other guy's relationship after the events of the first movie. Just like a really sad black and white indie film. Well, I got the sense that, like, you know, uh, Barry and Vanessa start their own business together of what it's like florist, honey, and legal advice. So, mm. like, I'm led to believe that they're, like, this is the beginning of their fruitful romance, no pun intended. Uh, so, unless the the honey, when they're in the courtroom and they're accusing the, like, the honey corporation guy, they were like, oh, you also are the owner of Honey Burton and Hunron? I was like, mm. okay, that's, that's okay. But again, this is like, this was like very much like an elitist liberals take on, uh, I don't know, like a capitalist labor story, which is like... It's like, oh, the corporations are bad, but, you know, the workers, they got to work, which is exactly probably how Seinfeld yeah. feels in real life. Yeah, I feel like the message is very much like you won't ever be happy if you never perform backbreaking labor ever again. Like that is mm-hmm. what brings your like meaning. And also rebelling against the existing social hierarchy will get you like completely ostracized from society. And also the entire world will just end if you like do anything to actually change the conditions that you're working. Yes. in. Yes. So fast. And nobody, I guess that's kind of accurate. Like nobody other than Vanessa really was like freaking out about the world ending. Like, wasn't that odd too? She was like, have you not? Oh, you didn't see? But like, there wasn't like mass pro, there wasn't like a mass upset from society. Everything was kind of going on as normal, even though the way she stated it, you're like, there is no more atmosphere. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of That's accurate. how it is. That's I was going to say, like, that feels really accurate. <laughs> it's totally it's like painfully accurate. accurate. Yeah, like if all of the trees in Central Park died, there would be people that would be like, sometimes there aren't trees there. It's always been like this. Like <laughs> They'd be like, oh, my jog is ugly now. Like, we have to fix oh, that. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> you know? That would, yeah, that would be the actual impetus that got anything done. I wrote... The true place of the workers is not to enjoy the freedom and pleasures of a materialistic lifestyle, but to continue to provide this lifestyle to those who really deserve it. Do you want Ooh. everyone to suffer because of your selfish ideas of equity? Wow. The Marxist read of B-movie. Incredible. <laughs> so this yeah. is the point where we like to hand out awards for the movie. And our first award goes to the character in the B-movie with the best politics. This is tricky. He's <laughs> just not a single. Usually, there's like really someone you're like takes. Just like a lot of just mediocre. Yeah, you're right. This is just the most. Centrist. I feel like it's literally just Barry in the first like third of the movie, like when he's walking around being like, "This is kind of weird that this is how it works and has always worked, and no one else questions it." But then the mm-hmm. rest of the movie, he's just like try to catch that you know human interaction with Vanessa. So I mean, I guess you could say Vanessa has good politics she yeah she's good politics in that she you know doesn't 
kill the bee, doesn't kill Barry when he first shows up. And is like, it's, a, you know, why is, and she says to her shitty abusive boyfriend, like, why is his life any less valuable than yours? And she uh, helps him go against the human race. I mean, that takes some freaking chutzpah. That's, that's like, that's, that takes chutzpah. Because, like, really, like, what the, the bees they could squash. Like, she's really putting herself on the line to, like, go against these multi-billion dollar corporations. So maybe, maybe Vanessa. That's a good one. I'll give it to Vanessa for being a little bit of a class trader. I think. Yeah, she's sense. pioneering trans species relationships. So <laughs> Our next award, as you might have guessed, it's the worst politics in the movie. Probably I mean, has to be the 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 John Goodman lawyer character, Mr. Montgomery. Oh, yeah. Oh, is that what is that his name? Um, Mr. Montgomery. Best accent, I have to say. I loved his so little good. southern thing that he had going on. But yeah, I fucking love John there. Goodman. Yeah, the guy representing the multinational food corporations who's trying to uh, dehumanize the bees. Uh, yeah, probably the, probably the worst politics, other than maybe like the the owners. But we don't really get much of their much of their viewpoint in this movie. I guess special shout out to not that he has bad politics, but I just remembered we didn't mention Sting is also in this movie. God, because then the bees <laughs> then then they just go over the top. So such like, a bummer. And you can't, and you're, and that was also like, are you making? They're just like made the bees so overly. You're woke and like overly emotional yeah, now. now they're they're trying to cancel down. Sting for his and name. His prance about stage name. Do you guys know who <laughs> Ray Liotta is? Because they kept bringing him up. Like I was gonna be like, oh my god, they got Ray Liotta for this. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> CJ, I, we are a different generation, and I will let you know, <laughs> I do in fact know who Ray Liotta is, and. That poor man recently passed. He did. I'll stop talking about him. (laughs) No, it's okay. Maybe cut this part out. (laughs) No, no, CJ. It's actually (laughs) fucking amazing that you don't know who Ray Liotta is. It is. But I don't don't know if anyone's ever known who Ray Liotta is to the point of, like, making him the king of honey. Like, kids definitely. Nobody. Most people watching that movie don't know. Although be careful with saying that in public because you will get a film bro who's like, have you never seen Goodfellas? Martin Scorsese's best film? Let, <laughs> let me tell you about it. So um, just uh, just, a, just a word of caution as you go out there saying how you don't know who Ray Liotta is. No, now um, you can be like, oh, you mean from B-movie? <laughs> <laughs> His yeah, landmark for- work. He crushed it. <laughs> His an- there was something about like his animated face that was so uncanny valley scary to me like cuz it mm-hmm. looks like him but it does it looks like a Pixar character also like that was a little bit terrifying. Um, mm. So he might feature in my nightmares but we'll see. Wait, did we give this award out? Yeah, I guess we agree Mr. Montgomery we all agreed. Yeah, Mr. Montgomery. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the last one. This goes to the supporting character that this movie should actually be about. Man, I was just like so deeply uninterested in every character in this movie. I there's there's no other because they all came from Jerry I... Seinfeld's brain. You know what I mean? I'm like it's limited by his inner universe. Like there's not going to be a random person that pops up who's like, oh, I'm actually really cool and funny and interesting. Like he just his mind cannot comprehend that. Oh, you know what? Actually, uh, Chris Rock the Mosquito. I would watch that movie. <gasps> yeah, yeah, that was yeah. good. Yeah. Chris Rock the Mosquito the- actually some of the like some of the better like jokes was w- was from the Mosquito and he just had a, a whole other vibe go- like a real anarchist vibe in the Mosquito yeah. community. 
So like, I would absolutely watch that movie. As a lawyer now. So he's moving <laughs> up in the world. And they didn't even, yeah. It, they didn't even cover how they became lawyer. Like that was phenomenal. Oh, how long does a mosquito movie. live? I feel like you wouldn't survive law school. Like you literally just would not live <laughs> to the end of it. Mosquito movie needs to have its day, I think, because there's B movie, ants. I feel like a we've bug's had life. a bug's life. Mm-hmm. But mosquitoes yeah. get such a bad rap just because they, you know, suck blood and spread horrible diseases. But it's not it's time for some positive <laughs> representation. <laughs> I mean, he owns up to it. He's like, everyone hates mosquitoes. <laughs> everyone hates yeah. us. So, CJ, before we wrap up, the last thing we like to do with our guest is discuss how we, as artists and as people, uh, try to practice our anti-capitalist values in our own lives, even with all of its complexities and contradictions. So is there one thing you do in your life, like a practice you engage in or an organization you work with uh, that you would like to share with us in the audience? One thing that I'm always really excited to share with people is that I have been living in cooperative housing for the past couple of years. I don't know how familiar you guys are with that. It's like the sweet spot between having roommates and being in a cult. Like, <laughs> so the, the, the first house that I moved into, um, I, I feel like a lot of it is about the fact that I think I feel very strongly about the fact that human beings are meant to live in community. Um, so like when I was in college, I was living in an apartment. I was like, I just felt like lonely all the time. Like I was working a lot. Like I had my own schedule. I hardly ever saw my roommates. Um, and then I found out about this like cooperative house and moved in right before COVID. So everyone was like isolated in their little like houses by themselves. And I was living with literally 28 people in a wow. lakeside wow. like manor in Wisconsin. So like our th- we were our own bubble, but we were like doing dance parties and like having all these mm-hmm. events. And I was like, you know, quarantined with all these like cool and interesting and loving people. And a lot of it is very like DIY, like you fix things yourself that go wrong in the house. Um, everybody shares the labor, everybody reaps the rewards. You know, you get to share meals with each other. And I also live in a co-op now. It's much smaller because it's San Francisco. Um, so there's like eight people here. But I, I feel like it's Damn. brought so much to my life and has helped me, has exposed me to so many different just ideas and like ways of living. Uh, and different kinds of people that I never would have met otherwise. Can I ask how cooperative housing differs just from like having roommates? It's a dumb question, but <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I actually- Yeah, because I, I feel yeah. like people always think of it, because people have bad roommate experiences and they're like, oh, so a co-op would be like that times 20. But the thing is, I feel like a lot of the issues that you run into with roommates are, like people find ways to go around them in cooperative housing. So there's typically, every house is gonna be different. The ones that I've lived in, it's like you have regular meetings. So if there's like things that you want to bring up, if you have like ideas for something you do or like complaints or something you want to talk about or work through, there's a pre-scheduled space for you to do that. Okay. The shared house meals and shared house groceries is a big one. Um, shared labor. So kind of like chore charts. But it's really nice because I'm like, I like my, my jobs for this house are working in the garden and cooking brunch for everyone on Sundays. But that means oh. I don't have to do, like, any of the other work. Like, I get food cooked for me. Like, someone else cleans the main spaces. Um, so it's really nice in that way. Uh, I feel like there's also, like, more – I feel like a lot of the times people live with roommates because they have to. Like, they don't really want to, but they're doing it to save money, whatever. Whereas people in cooperative housing are living with people because they want to. Because they're excited mm-hmm. about awesome. sharing that space and being part of a community. So, yeah, I, f- I feel like 
the vibes in general are different and they're they're often usually bigger so i feel like people think like oh you have 28 people in a house like that must be horrible but everyone has their own lives like everybody has different schedules so like a lot of the times you only see like a couple people at a time like you run into like one person in the kitchen so it's not really that crazy that's That's no that's so Mm -hmm. awesome and it's something that uh i know like rivka and i we have a we went to college together we have a really Mm -hmm. close-knit group of i don't know about like eight friends or so and something that we've started talking about which is you know like what is what does the next uh, 10 20 30 years of our lives look like together because you know like, like surprise none of us can afford to buy a house so like what yep. <laughs> so like ha- how are we going to you know communally find a way for us to like live together in in as we age into our twilight years um so this is something that i i know is on my mind personally i think a lot of people of our generations who have you know, don't have a lot of the same, you know, financial and just housing options that our parents' generation did. So that's awesome. I forgot to share too, uh, most of the time, the way that it works, again, every house is different, but it's not like you have a landlord. Uh, It's like you each own a share in the house. Mm. So it's like you move in and like, the first house I had ever lived in was owned by a nonprofit. So if there was like, like the boiler exploded randomly and they were able to pay for that. But it's like, you're not living with someone who's trying to extract profit from you for housing. It's very mm. much like you you pay just to cover the cost of what the rent actually is for the space. So again, it usually ends up being more That's affordable. Big. And I feel like it would be a great option for if you just want to party in a house with, you know, eight of your closest friends. <laughs> Who doesn't? That's what that's fucking life, baby. I'm just, B that's movie all, screenings. Wanna... <laughs> yeah. All sorts of stuff you can do. What a paradise. CJ, where can our audience find you and your work? Um, I am CJ Cap on Instagram. I'm also Vanguard again on TikTok. I think that's it <laughs> for now. More stuff awesome. coming. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and sure. I, I perform, uh, perform stand up in the Bay Area and I'm starting to do it across California. So um, oh, I usually yeah. post about my shows on my Instagram. Well, if you're ever in New York doing shows, let us know. We will come out and support. I'd love to. Yep. Yeah, yes. yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and uh, picking this absolutely bonkers movie for us to watch. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I feel like this was so much fun and so lucky that I already had done the work you know to prepare years ago <laughs> without even knowing it so awesome thanks aj thank you thank you all so much for listening make sure to follow us on instagram and tiktok and if you want to support the show and get access to our premium episodes you can go to mvcpod.com to find all of that information for next week's movie we'll be watching the 2018 dark comedy and satire sorry to bother you with special guest boots riley who spoiler wrote and directed the movie. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.